First Timothy chapter 6 in just a moment, and then we're going to focus together on six very, very familiar words that are a part of what I taught the young people this morning in Sunday school, the same text basically. There are six words that remind us of one of the great, great privileges, and it is a privilege, one of the great callings that we all have as children of God. Folks, we're living today, as you all know, I don't have to tell you this, in very, very interesting times. World events are really just as crucial and really intriguing for the superpowers of this day and today as they were for Paul and Timothy and the superpower of Rome back in the first century. As Thomas Paine once wrote the day before Christmas in 1776, these are times that try men's souls. And the summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will in this crisis shrink from the service of the country. And of course, beloved, history has shown and has always provided specific crucial times that test men's and women's souls. The difference between our times and the times of Rome, of course, is that you and I right now tonight as we sit here are at least 2,000 years closer, not just to a time in history, but to a time in prophecy. In the truest biblical sense, we all are living in the last days. The apostles were living in the last days, but it's very different for us because it's true. We are living in the last days of the last days. So that when we come to these six familiar words that have so much to say about the great duty and calling, the great privilege of every child of God under the sound of my voice. These are words that remind us that there are lots of sunshine patriots. There are lots of summer soldiers, not only in the days of Paul, and there were, Paul mentions many of them by name in this very epistle and in 2 Timothy. And now, in the last days, as prophesied by Paul and the Word of God, there are even more in our midst today. So that the Holy Spirit of God has inspired him to write what is our text for tonight. The first six words of verse 12. Look at it. Fight the good fight of faith. Say it with me out loud, would you? Ready? Fight the good fight of faith. There are three things tonight that I want us to consider as we, in the really brief sentence as it is, that really speak volumes, I think about our lives, about the reality of what it really means to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ until the day that Jesus comes again. The theme almost, almost of this entire epistle, this whole letter to Timothy, is really the substance. The, the, the whole theme and substance, succinctly stated as it is, is really given in these few words here at the beginning and the ending of verse 12. I want you to notice the very first word of the verse. And the word is the word fight. Now, maybe you're here tonight and you say, Pastor, I, I'm still trying to process this morning's message about love. And now you want me to fight. It was all about love this morning. It's the greatest. And now you say, fight. I mean, what am I going to do? Which one? And the answer, of course, is that, yes, I am going to talk about fighting in the context of love. In fact, especially to fight in the context of God's love. 
And you know, folks, if it seems odd to you that the Word of God, that the revelation of Jesus Himself would have a command and an admonition that literally begins with the word, fight. That for you, you know, maybe in some people's minds, what about starting an admonition with the word love or give or peace? Isn't that a true representation of a Christian, what he's supposed to do and supposed to be known for when he's related to our Lord as, as his servant? And the answer, of course, is yes. But you know. Beloved, you know perfectly well that if a man truly loves or a woman truly loves his country or his children or his wife, he's going to fight to protect them. If a snake is crawling towards a crib, and that crib has a little baby in there that you love, what are you going to do? Love the snake or fight the snake? If you love the child, then you will fight. You will obviously fight the snake. Now, of course, not every fighting, not all fighting is motivated by love or by loyalty. I grew up in a home with three boys, three of us as brothers. Um, we helped, I helped raise three boys. I can assure you there's a lot of fighting that's not motivated by love at all. You know, we had boxing gloves my dad bought for all of us, um, three sets in our home. And my dad had a rule. He had his box every now and then, and he had a rule. And the rule was you box, you know, me against Dennis, me against Rick, Rick against Dennis, and so on. You keep on boxing and hitting and fighting. He didn't do rounds until somebody starts to bleed. From their nose. Trust me, all you wanted to do was smack him in the nose so he would start bleeding first. And I can say, you can trust me when I say that none of those fights, none of them were motivated by love at all. It was all pride and it was all aggression and adrenaline and it was all self-interest. But you see, it is precisely, it is precisely because of his divine love, the very thing we talked about, preached about from the word of God this morning, his divine love in God's kingdom that his subjects are called to fight. He calls us. He loved us. As we noted this morning, He loved us. We love Him. We love His truth. We love His Word. We love His children, one another. We love righteousness and life and eternal values. And you'll notice again, verse 11, there's a list of Christian virtues just before the verse, the word fight. But thou, verse 11, O man of God, flee these things. Here it is, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, of course, love, patience, meekness. Now, folks, that's a great list. And wouldn't most people follow all of those Christian virtues in verse 11 with the word hug or smile or kiss? Follow after love, patience, meekness. And the next word in God's word, the one that God himself uses, is the word fight. Fight. And why? We said not long ago that if you were to compile all the great classic stories that have ever been written that came from man's imagination, and you took all the stories, whether it's in literature or film or stage, and you take out of each and every one of those stories anything that has to do with conflict. In other words, take out all the fighting, all the battle scenes, all the war and all the warriors themselves, take it all out of King Arthur and Camelot, the last of the Mohicans, 
Take all of that out of the mutiny and the bounty, the Lord of the Rings, war and peace. Just call the book Peace. It's going to be a lot shorter, I guarantee you, than it is. You take out all of that. You know, one of the reasons why I was ever convinced to watch The Sound of Music or Casablanca, I was told there were Nazis in those movies. So I want to watch it. And yeah, they were cute Nazis or whatever, but it wasn't what I thought. The problem in the real world is that until we get to heaven, beloved, there will always be evil and Nazis in every story. So that unfortunately, there is always some evil to fight. There's evil right now. There are enemies. That's why we are called to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. There will always be a battle for you to engage. Say, so, Pastor, are you saying that heaven's going to be just a great big eternal no fighting chick flick or whatever? Well, it's not Jane Austen. It's not where the red fern grows. Thank the Lord it's not the notebook or anything like that. But neither is it warfare and conflict. Yes, the stuff that we experience here, because there's no sin there, no enemy. Paul said anybody who follows after righteousness. This is the verse before. And that's what a lot of people claim to do. But if you follow after righteousness and faith and love and meekness and godliness, the first order of business, if you're going to do that, is you have to be willing to fight. Somebody who I love very, very much asked me once why their children turned out so rebellious and selfish. They grew up in church, Christian school. Why do my children, and it wasn't easy for me to tell them this because I do love them. And I said to them, to be honest with you, you probably never fought for them. And he got a little huffy. I said, you never got into battle. You never got battle scars. And I don't blame him. He got very defenseless. He said, that's not true, Pastor. He said, I fought for them. I fought for them on their basketball team. I fought for my daughter to be homecoming queen. I fought for their university. And I said, no, no, no. Hollywood wanted your children's minds. And you never fought Hollywood. You just let it in. The humanist evolutionists the secularists wanted their souls, and you never really fought for them. Carnal men and women wanted their bodies. I didn't say this, but I thought especially your two daughters, and frankly, you never fought for them either. Capitalism wanted their greed and their covetousness, and you never fought for that. If anything, you promoted it. You promoted the idea of getting rich and getting a degree and being, being very successful just for the sake of money. I'm going to say it again, beloved, there's a war going on. And in every war, there are battles. There is fatigue. There are victories. There are defeats. There are casualties. And there are sacrifices. Every war involves conflict. And every conflict requires soldiers. A few pages ahead in 2 Timothy. I want you to look at it with me. A familiar text. 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is the second epistle that he writes to the same young man. He says in verse 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Why? That he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. When the Apostle Paul began that 
first epistle to Timothy, you understand that he did not waste any time. Now, this is the second epistle. Way back in his first epistle, he didn't waste any time telling him that the Christian life is a warfare. Not a picnic. Let's look at it. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Again, a very familiar text. So in the first epistle, at the beginning of his counsel and exhortation to Timothy, verse 18, this charge. The word charge there is a military term. Hello? This charge. I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, here it is, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Look, right off the bat, Paul tells Timothy the truth about the Christian life. And what is the truth? The truth is it's a fight. If you're going to do it right, if you're going to be one of his soldiers, it's a war. The Christian life is a noble conflict. It is, if you will, the most just of all wars that require soldiers. And soldiers who are faithful and loyal and steadfast and strong. If you're here tonight and you're a child of God. And you know what? You don't know that you're in a battle for the things, for all the things that you love if you don't know that there is a war going on against the things that matter most, as we talked about this morning, then I'm pretty sure that as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're already AWOL. Absent without leave, Pastor? Yes. Any believer who is not engaged against the evil of this world, who is not fortified against Satan's attacks, if that's not you, if you're just floating along, Letting your children, your marriage, your home, your spouse, if you're just floating along, letting anything and everything into your world and into your life, you can mark it down. That Christian is absent always without leave. Always without discharge. Ecclesiastes 8.8 says this, There is no discharge from this war. That is a great text for every one of us as believers. There is no discharge. You're either in the battle, in the war, fighting the devil, fighting the world, fighting against your flesh, or you're AWOL. Because there's no discharge until God calls us home. The first truth in the text is the word fight. The second truth I want you to notice in the text is the word good. You're here in chapter 1 still, right? Look at what it says at the end of verse 18 again. That thou... By them mightest war a good warfare. In other words, he doesn't just say go to war. He says it should be a good war. Go back to our text, 1 Timothy 6. Let's look at it again. Fight. What? The good fight. The good fight. Now, folks, let's just ask the obvious question. Sort of common sense. If there is such a thing as a good fight, if there is such a thing as a good war, then don't you suppose there's also such a thing as a bad fight? Of course. And you know, not for nothing does the Apostle Paul admonish Timothy not just to fight, but to fight the good fight. Our nature is such, our flesh, our carnal nature is such that we just love fights. People love to go to hockey games and love the fights. 
at the hockey game. My dad always said, I paid tickets for a fight and a hockey game broke out. And there are people like that. All of us are like that in the flesh. Years ago, I was on a putting green, a practice green, and this guy looked at me. He came over, and he looked like he was about to have a stroke. All, you know, red. He was young, but his face was all red and kind of looked sweaty and just muscles and, I don't know, roid rage it looked like to me. And so he just looked at me, and he said, he said uh, I was putting. Bro, bro, he said, I was putting right there. I'm like, okay. It's all yours. I'll move over there. And he said, I, I, said, I said, you can take it. And he says, take it. It was already mine. And he kind of got my space, and I thought, yeah, take it, whatever you want to call it, it's all yours. And I thought, man, this guy just looking for a fight. And sure enough, about 15 minutes later, I hear a scuffle, and over there he's fighting some poor guy, beating him up because he's on the putting green or something. And believers can be like that. I used to be a huge boxing fan. I mean, I followed probably every boxer in every weight class. I loved Cassius Clay as a child. George Foreman, Larry Holmes, I also loved Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Tommy Hearns, I loved marvelous Marvin Hagler, I almost quit boxing when Mike Tyson started biting people's ears off, that was a little odd, and of course, some people watch this really over-the-top, violent UFC ultimate fighting championship stuff, Maddie, no, I'm just kidding, she doesn't do that. <laughs> People love fights. My brother was here this morning. He loved to start fights. He really did. He started them all through grade school, all through junior high school, Delara, and uh, the high school there in Satellite Beach. It got him discharged from the Army, actually. His whole problem was he enlisted. There was no war. So he started his own war in his barracks, and so he got discharged. He picked fights all the time. And this is what Paul's referring to. He's referring to the good fights and the bad fights. You fight a good fight as opposed to a bad fight. Why? Because if you're fighting fellow believers, you can't stand up there and say, well, that's, I'm fighting the good fight. If you're attacking, engaging, and shooting at those who are wearing the same uniform, God's not pleased about that. God doesn't want you wasting your strength and your ammo your efforts on anybody who's sitting beside you, in front of you, behind you, or anywhere near you. That's not fighting the good fight. Shooting your own is not a good soldier of Jesus Christ. It may be a fight, but it's not a good fight. There are other fights out there the devil wants us to get into. I think it's the devil. I remember years ago, a very famous TV Baptist preacher, I won't say his name because I have respect for him, but, but he got in a big public fight with Barney the dinosaur. And then Teletubbies. I mean big. I mean, this is on TV all the time. How many, know, how many remember this? Anybody remember this? Yeah, a few of you. And, um, you know, just because they were demonic. He'd heard some rumors about Barney and what purple represented and what the Teletubbies and all this, and they were from the devil. And, and so spent a lot of energy, a lot of capital on TV, very expensive television. And I get it. But that was not, I remember thinking then, this is not the good fight. I mean, I want a sniper to take out that purple dinosaur too, just like everybody. But, <laughs> but as a Christian, that is not the good fight. Every week or so in the mail, 
at home or sometimes in our box, I'll get a new pet petition from some Christian organization for a whole brand new cause, boycott Starbucks, because the symbol's a mermaid, and that's of the devil. Boycott Visa, because they can be used at the casino. Well, so can cash. Boycott Procter & Gamble. Have you ever in the 80s that all the churches boycotted Procter & Gamble? You remember that, Ned? Yeah, that was a thing. It wasn't just a thing. It was a huge thing. It was all the rage because, quote, they supported the church of Satan because if you ever see the logo, the logo had these little curly things on his beard and they looked like 666. Now, the logo was made in 1859. But a lot of churches said, we got to boycott all their soap, all their shampoo. I and mean, that's a lot of stuff Procter & Gamble makes. And people worked really, really hard at that. Meanwhile, while people are boycotting Procter & Gamble, whether the symbol is that or not, they did not support the Church of Satan. I did all the study I could on that back then just so I, I didn't want to support the Church of Satan, believe me. But meanwhile, while that was going on, there's a lion outside the door of the church. There's a lion outside the door of your home. And I don't see any admonitions in here about toothpaste and soap. In fact, if you want to see the real enemy instead of some company, 1 Timothy 6, you're there? Look at verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, wait a minute. If we're talking about all evil, evil, real evil, not Barney the dinosaur. If we're talking about all evil, I want to know what this verse says. It speaks to me. It says the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. In other words, that one evil has caused people to go away from the faith. That means they are apostate. They have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, folks, that sounds to me like real damage. That sounds to me like an arrow in warfare that you really need to avoid. That you need to put up the shield of faith. But pastor, there's this Illuminati pyramid from the Rothschilds on our dollar bill. We need to fight to get it off. No, actually, we need to fight to keep coveting dollar bills in our heart. That's the real fight. That's what the Bible says. It's the love of what that dollar bill represents, not what the ink on the thing says. It's the good fight. And frankly, it's the harder fight. Writing papers as a boycott or saying, I'm not going to buy this soap anymore, that's easy. You just switch soap. Get another toothpaste. The real fight is fighting what God says to fight. The covetousness of it. You may have noticed tonight, then in all of the New Testament. Now, I want to say this, and I want all of God's people here, and if you're watching at home, especially members of Beacon Baptist Church, to please hear this very carefully, because this is not some gray, misty thing. The Bible is the Word of God. We can read every word of it, the New Testament. We can see exactly what the apostles did, exactly what the disciples did, and know what we're supposed to do. You may have noticed that in all of the New Testament, neither our Lord Jesus who lived in a far more pagan, idolatrous nation than we ever have. You may have noticed that all of the apostles, none of them wasted a lot of time and energy fighting the symbols or the statues of Rome. Nor 
of fighting among themselves. Only the carnal Christians at Corinth fought among themselves about pagan idols. Only those. Because they, the Lord Jesus, and the apostles of the Lord Jesus, you know what they did? And they died for their faith. They fought the good fight. May we do that? Can we fight the good fight that is for this book? For all that it says, all that it commands, all of its doctrines and truths? Third one in the text. Chapter 6, verse 12, you'll notice it is the word faith. Fight the good fight of faith. In other words, it is exactly as it says in 2 Corinthians 10.4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Our weapons, and I'm glad about this, our weapons of, as soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not going around the world trying to convert people with a sword. It's never been that way for God's people. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not material. Ephesians 6 goes on to say that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I don't have to go out in the parking lot and fight some guy and say, hey, you need to get saved. Knock on a door and say, if you were to die today, do you know for sure? That's, not, that's how we do it. Because it's not a carnal warfare. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We put on the whole armor of God. And that armor is described in that same chapter in Ephesians so that we can stand against the wiles of the devil. And the scripture says that we are to take above all to defeat the devil and his fiery darts. Above all else, we're supposed to take the shield of faith. What fiery darts, Pastor? Discouragement. Pride, envy, heresy, greed, covetousness, rebellion, wrath, and fear. That's what the devil fires at us. Those are the real enemies in this great battle. Nobody in this room is perfect. The Apostle Paul certainly was not perfect. He confessed himself to having times of, of distress, fear, he even confessed to covetousness, despair. Nobody is a perfect soldier. But anybody can come to the end of their life with the same glorious testimony that the Apostle Paul had. 2 Timothy 4, look at it, would you? Brother Chris and I were talking about this before church. Verse 5, he says, but watch thou in all things. That means, you know, be diligent. Look, watch. Endure afflictions. They're going to come. Do the work of an evangelist. Spread the gospel. Make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready. Look at this. I am now ready to be offered. That's a sacrificial word. The time of my departure, my exodus is at hand, Paul said. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course, and I have kept the faith. The good fight is a fight of faith. And Paul says, I'm finishing well. I got a text from my, my old roommate in Bible college yesterday. Yesterday, day four. Pray for me, Jim. I'm on the way to the ER. He was in my wedding. I was in his wedding. He pastors in Napa. He's preached behind this pulpit several times. Mike Ray. Pray for me on the way to the hospital. I'm in the ambulance now. I don't know if I've had a stroke or something, but just pray. He said, pray 
that if this is the time God has taken me home, that I finish well. Don't you want to finish well? The good fight is a fight of faith. It's not a fight of you losing your temper and getting angry at something that's not described as our enemy. It is in spite of all outward circumstances in this world, a matter of trusting and believing wholly in the Word of God. Look at verse 18. Talk about faith. You're in 2 Timothy 4. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What a statement of faith. He said, the Lord is going to deliver me. You say, but pastor, he just said the time of my departure is at hand. He just said that, that he knows he's finished. How's the Lord going to deliver him? That's how he's going to deliver him. It is a deliverance. And he knew it. In other words, one reason why we do indeed fight this good fight is that the ultimate victory is already guaranteed. The end of this fight, if you keep fighting anyway, the end of it is victory. We've said in the past many times, we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. We've already read the last chapter. The only question is, are you fighting? When you're supposed to. When you're supposed to. War a good warfare. Are you fighting? Onward Christian soldiers marching us to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. That's why we're fighting from victory, not for it. He went on before. Going on before. Christ, the royal master, leads against the foe. Forward into battle. See his banners go. Pastor, I'm tired. I know. I'm tired. What soldier isn't tired? I just finished reading a book, amazing book, on a battle in, in Vietnam. And I tell you, the thing that came across the pages to me the most was just how exhausted they just couldn't sleep. They, slipped, they slept standing up against a tree. I'm tired. Of course you're tired. That's why the Bible says endure hardship. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible describes heaven as a place of rest. Eternal rest. We mentioned earlier Thomas Paine's quote about the winter soldier, the sunshine patriot. In sports, they're called fair-weather fans. They wither. And you know what, what Paine was referencing to in those, when he said the, these are the times that try men's souls? Where people during those times, they just what? They lay down their arms. He said, hey, it's coming. Battle is coming. It was 1776, the day before Christmas. The battle's coming, and there are going to be people that are just sunshine patriots, and they're going to lay down their arms, quit fighting, quit warring, because it's just too hard. And exactly as Paul promised in these last days, many who profess the Lord Jesus Christ do think it's too hard. I mean, look around. Look at the people you meet on the street in the grocery store in your neighborhood to say, I'm, I'm a, I believe in Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple of Christ. I know the hymns. I sing the songs of Jesus. Look at them. The truth is, it's really too hard to be a soldier for them. And they have laid down their sword. They don't even bring their sword to their assembly. They don't even bring their sword to church. 
they've laid down their sword. They've laid down their arms and their sunshine believers. As a matter of fact, they're, as we mentioned, churches with thousands of members who would never fight for the faith. If they were called to fight for the faith, for a doctrine of truth, they would never do that. They might fight for a parking spot. They might fight for more money or for a, pool, for a, a swimming pool permit. They'll fight all kinds of things. But there is no way they would fight the good fight of faith. You know, it's interesting, Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? And the answer is yes. He will. He will find that kind of faith that's talking about the importunate friend. But you see, the question itself has implications. Jesus posited it for a reason. When the Son of Man, when He returns, will He find that kind of faith on the earth? Well, here's the question. Will He in this room? Will He in your heart? Will He find the faith of a child of God who is fighting the good fight? The good fight. Until His Master calls Him home. Let's bow our heads for a moment and close our eyes. If you're a believer here this morning and you were here today or tonight, you were here this morning and you walked out of the building and you said, wow, a sermon on love, that love is the greatest, the more excellent way. And if there's in any way in your mind, in your heart, you thought, well, that's it. That's all I need. All we need is love. As one preacher used to say, love Jesus and then do anything you want. I want you to understand and see, and I wanted us to understand and see tonight, that you cannot really love that child in that crib, that baby, if you don't hate the serpent that wants to destroy it. If you're not willing to fight, fight for that which is good, fight for that which is right. And I just wanted to admonish us as believers here at Beacon Baptist Church, let's love as we studied and read about this morning let's love the lord god with all of our heart and strength and mind and let's love our neighbor as ourself let us do all our things in love as we read from the, from this text let us recognize that the more excellent way in everything that we do we do with the love of god in our hearts but with all of that when it comes to the devil and evil and sin and wrong and injustice We're good soldiers who fight the good fight of faith. Pastor, I'm saved tonight, and I needed this message as a Christian. Hey, parent, fight for your children. That's what God wants you to do. He doesn't want you to be their friend. He wants you to be their parent who fights on their behalf. Grandparents, you fight for the grandchildren. Every member of the church ought to fight the good fight for, for this local church, if you're a member. You have in your hands and in your heart the word of God. Fight for the truth. Valiant for truth. Pastor, I'm saved tonight, but I needed this reminder, this message, and God has spoken to my heart. Who would say that? Would you lift your heart, hand up as a child of God and an amen? Praise God. Pastor, I'm here tonight, and I'm not sure that I'm even saved. I'm not a soldier. I'm not even sure I'm a child of God. Could I pray for you? 
That's me, Pastor Blayla. Could you pray for me that I could be saved? Who would say that? Would you lift your hand really high until we see it? All right. We're going to pray in a moment, have a time of invitation, and if God has spoken to your heart, there's an altar here. Yes, you have the love of God shed abroad in your hearts. But you're called to be a soldier. The Bible says, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in that love. May we do so here. Father, thank you for your word. And dear God, thank you for showing us in your word the whole counsel of God, that we are called to be soldiers, that we are to speak the truth in love, that we are to defend this book and your word and to protect and fight for those that you've called us to. Bless now the invitation, Lord. Many hands were raised. You know every heart. Draw them to you, please, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.